Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Last year, Global Foods Group partnered with the International Institute of St. Louis to put together a cookbook full of recipes of dishes from all around the world that reflect the cultural richness of the St. Louis area. The intention was to help raise money for the International Institute and to encourage the sharing of meals and stories from and with STL food lovers. Recipes were submitted and considered in 2023, and just last Thursday, the Global Foods Market cookbook hit shelves at the Global Foods Market in Kirkwood. Here to talk with us about the cookbook and the fruition of all those efforts, we have Shane Propisal, Chief Operating Officer of Global Foods Group. Shane, welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. It's wonderful to be back. Thanks for having me. So many brilliant ideas come about over a shared drink or meal. Is that how the idea for this cookbook came about, and if so, who's at that table and what was on it? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I never thought being a a cookbook publisher was in my uh, professional arc, but uh, here we are. Um, You know, the original idea was we've always supported the International Institute and its mission. You know, in the past, we did a spice drive, and so uh, me and my team were just talking about, is there another unique way that we can tie in kind of the unique market that we are in supporting the um, the mission of the of the institute and kind of you know we have home cooks and chefs that shop with us all the time and you know we love seeing customers kind of point out items that they're not familiar with and ask you know what do you do with this how do you use it you know how do you make it into something delicious and then we're like gosh I wish we could just share all these great ideas with our customers um, writ large and so we're like let's let's see if we can put a cookbook together. Mm-hmm. Now- Global Foods stepping in to work with the International Institute, how does that connect with your family's personal story and with yours too? Yeah, I mean, we've had a, a quite a long um, relationship with the Institute. Um, you know, when my parents, parents first immigrated to the United States, they settled on South Grand, which is where the International Institute's located. Um, you know, they immigrated from Thailand, and, and one of their original uh, businesses that they helped open was Jane International Foods, actually. Mm. And so, you know, over the decades, we've seen various, um, you know, new groups of Americans settle in. I remember my parents talking about the Vietnamese resettlement in the 70s, you know, the Bosnian resettlement in the 90s, and, and now, you know, with um, people coming from, from Afghanistan and, and, and Burma. Um, and so the Institute has always been such a great partner to these new Americans, and you know, they've been doing what they've been doing for 30 years. And so it's kind of a personal mission for us to, to ensure that their uh, mission is still being supported to this day. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think that often happens with businesses that are started by immigrants is that when their kids who are born in the States get older, they do something that is different. Why is it that you have become, uh, you know, chief operating officer of a of something that started with the seed of your parents' business. Yeah, you know, I think um, the, when they started the business, they were primarily catering to those immigrant um, communities. You know, so they were they would be selling you know rice stick noodles to Vietnamese folks or or aviar to to the Bosnian community. And 
I think it's kind of the way that food is looked at now in, in an American lens of, of it being what is considered, quote unquote, American food. Mm-hmm. And I think that gradual transformation is kind of what moved us from what we thought was, quote unquote, an ethnic market to just an international grocery store, yes, but um, you know, people are, are willing and excited to try foods and ingredients that they may not either be familiar with, and in turn, those foods become kind of part of the American, you know, gastronomy overall. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's just an, an, another opportunity for us to to share and to invite more people to shop with us, even they, you know, if they grew up kind of eating, quote unquote, you know, mashed potatoes and meatloaf, um, there's s- such a wide diversity and variety that we're that we have access to here in St. Louis that's really great. Mm-hmm. And why have you decided that this is something that you want to do? Um, well, law school wasn't for me. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's it's something too where I think the way that I am looking at this role is that not just a, a financial enterprise, but a, as a, a way to kind of make it a social enterprise um, as well. You know, I'm a poli sci major. Um, and so I, I, I try to involve myself, quote unquote, after five o'clock in as many, you know, community building ways as possible. And I think for me to be able to marry the two by kind of giving us a social mission of, of not just, you know, selling food, but creating and building community, um, welcoming new Americans uh, and try to make St. Louis as familiar to them as possible um, is a unique opportunity that, you know, not everyone in the grocery industry has that mm-hmm. I thought I should take advantage of. Okay. Well, the last time you were here, again, we had spoken about this cookbook. And speaking of community, what was interesting about it to me was that it was going to be community or crowd source. So you, you'd put out a call for recipe submissions. In the time that that call was out there, were there any surprises around who submitted a recipe or perhaps where the or the recipes originated from? Yeah, we were re- uh, very pleasantly surprised. We, you know, we actually got a much bigger response than we thought. We actually had to carefully curate and edit um, the recipes just because we had so many to deal with. And what was also great is just to see, you know, you have some James Beard nominated chefs on the, on the recipe list. You've got home cooks. Um, and we thought it was really important too to highlight kind of full breadth of, of the food scene here in St. Louis. So, you know, we've got, you know, Nick Bogner next to uh, a home cook who, you know, makes a really good pancit. So, it, it, you know, really, we, we don't, we want the cookbook to be, you know, welcoming and, and not so intimidating. So, mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you can make this at home, you can get the ingredients at Global Foods. And so it was really cool to see how it all came together. And, and just, a, again, the wide diversity of cuisine itself. It's not just an Asian cookbook, or it's not just a, you know, Middle Eastern cookbook. It's truly a global cookbook. Mm-hmm. Were there any themes that emerged as you were looking over the submissions? Yeah, I, I think um, in a way, you know, obviously, a lot of the, the recipes are, are rooted in, in a particular cuisine. But I think, um to see the way that people have incorporated, you know, kind of um, American ingredients to, mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of, well, we don't have this, but we can use that instead. And, and it's almost, you know, I, I personally don't like the term fusion, but you do see, <laughs> you do see a fusion of flavors and ideas and techniques um, with all these recipes, um, you know, it, whether someone's been in the United States for 50 years or five years, it's kind of, it's cool to see their unique take and spin on you know, some of these recipes are coming from family 
um, cookbooks or, or been cooked for generations. And mm-hmm. to see that unique spin on it was really cool. Now, something that you had said that you were looking for uh, when you had put out that call, what you were looking for in the recipes for this cookbook was ingredients that you can't find in a, a chain grocery store or more, quote, traditional grocery stores. Among the, the recipes that were submitted, not necessarily ones that made it into the book, but the ones that came to you, was there a, like a really interesting ingredient that caught your attention and that maybe you don't carry at Global Foods, but you might bring in if there is demand for it? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I do like to say um, we, we probably covered most of the basics, which is what I think makes our store so unique. You know, not just the, the dry ingredients, but because we're able to provide, you know, fresh Asian vegetables, fresh herbs. Um, so we were able to provide most of the ingredients that, that the recipes called for. But I thought what was interesting was just to see kind of what is, quote unquote, popular right now or hot, you know, in terms of like, you know, yuzu citrus is, is popping up everywhere. So mm-hmm. we're kind of able to, for us, oh, see f- trends in terms of what people are looking for, what people want to try, what people are seeking out. And have you had people come in um, looking specifically for this book now that it is out? Yeah, you know, um, we're, we're, we're love when people come in and they look at the book and when they purchase it, they take a photo and tag us on Instagram. And so we're getting a really good reception. And Again, we, you know, we've had customers who've been coming to us for, for you know, many, many years, and they're like, this is a great idea. And you know, they want to know how to use these ingredients. And, and I think it, it seems like it was long overdue. People are really excited um, just to be able to, again, whatever they're buying from us, maybe buy a couple new ingredients to try something unique at home. Mm-hmm. And the approach that you all took with uh, including images Tell us a little bit about that and and why you decided sort of to approach making this cookbook with the kinds of pictures that you did. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a there's a joke that um, you know, in 2024, phone needs first. So I, I think the the visual um, tapestry, you know, because I think so many of these dishes are just so vivid when you see them in in person and. Um, you know, to, to be able to to kind of visualize what the dish is supposed to look like. Again, you know, I've seen recipes where I'm following it, and I, if, if it's something I haven't made before, I'm like, okay, I follow the steps, but is this what the the author intended? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, we worked with a great photographer, R.J. Hartbeck, and we were you know invited into people's homes and 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 kit, professional kitchens and to take photographs, and it's really neat to see. You know, I know all the all the people who submitted the recipes were extremely proud that we were able to capture that that visual essence. Mm-hmm. And the the other part of this, stories, is a really big part of what is in this book. Were there stories that came to you sort of because you would ask for them, or were there stories that came because that is naturally what happens when people talk about food and how it's made? Yeah, I mean, everyone's narrative was so compelling that it kind of made it really difficult to pick one recipe over the other because, you know, when someone's willing to share something, I, I think it's a very personal thing. It, they're kind of sharing part of themselves. So, you know, a lot of talk about, well, my grandma used to make this for me, and it's so important that I continue to make this now, or now I'm able to serve it in my restaurant to the community at large, and it's kind of like feeding, you know, feeding my, my, my family every day. And so... Yes, I mean we would get paragraphs on paragraphs, and so to get to get their words into the page was you know, extremely important for us. Mm-hmm. 
We'll pick up with that uh, after this very quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Shane, before the break, we were talking about stories and that really stood out to me. Um, and the first, uh, the first recipe is one that makes me think of a, a recipe that's been passed around in the last year, which is marry me chicken. But here it's marry me bacon pot pie. Tell me about uh, th- this this recipe and why it was that you chose this. Yeah, well, uh, Chef Victoria Pilat has uh, been shopping us for quite some time. She's extremely talented and you know cooked in kitchens um, all over St. Louis, and so you know, we wanted to kind of showcase um, her recipe just because I think it's something where you know we started off with something really approachable. I think every you know everyone kind of knows what a pot pie is, and you know bacon is is almost you know it's had its moment in the sun and still continues <laughs> to do so. Um, but it's just fun, you know. It's something that's approachable. It's familiar, um, but in a way, it it's it's you know de- kind of chefed up and, and made it in a you know a unique way. And and the ingredients, you know, it's it's the ingredients are very approachable. So mm-hmm. just to start off and make, make sure we we get people past the first recipe, past the first page, uh, was was something really neat. And there are many different kinds of bacon from different places, right? Definitely. I mean, and, you know, we have, obviously, with just different, quote, unquote, if you don't eat pork, you can get turkey bacon, you can get beef bacon. But even, you know, even in our store, we've got, um, you know, um, Eastern European bacon, which are, you know, nice and salted. Um, you know, their, their pork is, plays a huge role in Asian cuisine. And so, again, it's one of these things where if even if one of these ingredients doesn't work for you, at Global, you can kind of interchange what, what does work for you and still make it, I think, pretty true. Mm-hmm. Another recipe that caught my eye, um, it was less about the, the dish itself, but the description. And this is a chicken curry from Chef Adam Lambay, uh, whose father's Indian and his mother is German-Irish. So talk with us about Sort of what makes this to you a, a very St. Louis diverse community's recipe and story? Yeah, I mean, you know, I almost consider myself like a third culture kid myself. You know, my parents being from Thailand, me growing up here. Um, you know, my my wife is half Chinese and her father's from Southern Illinois. And so, what caught my eye about this was like, you know, you can have you can have many parts of your identity and some parts you can choose to keep separate or you can kind of mix it all in and create something, you know, a brand new culture, a brand new dish um, through through the lens of food. And so I think that's happening more in more and more households in St. Louis. And, you know, it's really interesting when I see a customer's basket or cart, you know, it, it may not make sense to me uh-huh. because of whatever, <laughs> their, the way they grew up. I'm like, it makes sense to this person. That's super neat. And I, I'm... And I'm like, I wish I wish I knew what they were making at home because yeah. you know you wouldn't kind of think that these things go together, and then you you kind of have this this kind of um, chicken dish that kind of marries a German and Indian uh, experience and influence. Mm-hmm. And the additions are the potatoes and and peas to that curry. And I will say, I do that. I will look at what people have and like out of curiosity. I hope it doesn't seem like it's it's nosiness, but it is fascinating to think about how ingredients make their way 
to someone's home and then what the experience of making that food and enjoying the, the food together is like. And that brings me to another dish that was submitted, I think, by someone who is not a chef. Um, this is Ashwin Dambekodi. Uh, and our, the submission that came um, came in was one that was, again, very story-driven to me. And it was about a recipe that Ashwin learned from her big sister and the, the kind of experience that she had with this. Was the story for this one also what drove you? And is, in fact, Ashwin uh, just a regular person and not somebody who makes a living by cooking? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you kind of mentioned at the beginning of the of the segment that, you know, food is best shared. Some of the best ideas, you know, come from sharing a meal or a drink. And, you know, people always say, it, you know, food can also break down barriers and, and misunderstanding. Um, and, you know, kind of that story of, of learning it from a, a family member. And again, food is extremely personal. And the fact that they were willing to share this with us and about why it's so important to them, I think was, you know, we're like, that's a neat narrative that should be told. And um, we're happy to include it because, yes, you know, it's, you know, I always say um, just because you don't, you're not serving the public or you're not serving in a restaurant doesn't mean that, you know, your food doesn't have a narrative and shouldn't be told. And so having all these everyday cooks uh, be willing to submit the recipes, we were super happy to see that. And that's why we felt it was so important to include it as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the last time we talked, you had told us that if you were to submit a, a recipe to a cookbook project like this, you named cow tod, which is a rice dish with many ingredients. It's connected to you know, personal memories of growing up. But in the cookbook, it's your mom, Sue, who submitted a recipe for lap tofu, which is served at Chaoban. Uh, and cow tod is something that can you, you can also get there. Tell us about this submission of Laptod and why there was a switch up. Yeah, you know, I, I will say, and I think I had mentioned too, it, it's my favorite dish, but it also is a, a all-day, almost back-breaking affair to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of ingredients going on. Um, and, I you know, we thought too, I wanted to provide, you know, a vegetarian more vegetarian options. Um, you know, Laptod is uh, cured pork, and so... We wanted to give you know ve- either vegetarians or pescatarians more options, um, but yeah, the lap tofu too. I mean, it was something that you know my mom makes, still makes to this day. Um, still has you know very, uh, very rooted in Thai cuisine, so true Thai ingredients. We, this one we didn't really, uh, we haven't really changed it much from the way we our family makes it. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I didn't. I wanted to to, to pr- include a recipe that I know people would make because I know for myself, cow tot can be. Uh, Quite, quite the endeavor. So yeah. lap tofu was a little bit more approachable. Okay. And is there anything in the lap tofu, uh, in that recipe, an ingredient that you really would need to get from global foods or would have a hard time tracking down elsewhere? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, the fish sauce for sure. I think it's kind of neat that it's becoming more and more available and, and you know, talking about ingredients that kind of entered the mainstream. Um, but with our fish sauce collection, we have fish sauce from almost every Southeast Asian country. There's, you know, various different brands that, you know, have a different recipe. And so um, my family uses the squid, uh, mm. squid brand fish sauce, but, um, you know, you could use Red Boat, you could use any other. But yeah, for us, like uh, squid is one of the biggest Thai fish sauce manufacturers. So yeah, you'd 
probably need to get that at our store. Yeah. One of the other recipes um, that I noted, and it was an easy one, but involves a, an ingredient that uh, Kurt Bellin, who I believe is uh, behind, is it? Uh, Izumi. Izumi. Yeah. Is the umeboshi onigiri. And that umeboshi is something that is not widely available. What is that? And uh, did sort of wrapping up the, um, the cookbook with a, an easy recipe factor into why you chose it? Yeah, you know, and Kurt, Kurt's a good good friend of mine, and he makes some of the best, uh, probably one of the few folks doing it in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, he'll do different, he, you know, he'll do some more familiar fillings, but the umeboshi is very distinctly Japanese. It's like a very tart kind of pickled plum. Um, and again, it it's, gets a little used to, um, once you have it, you need to get used to it a little bit. But I think just having a fun snack, you know, it's, it's almost a carryable. You can take it anywhere with you. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, almost occupies a convenience store type of thing uh, in Japan. And so, um, you know, really you just need the filling and the rice and um, pretty easy to make. So we wanted to something you can do with your kids or someone who maybe isn't as comfortable in the kitchen. Mm. And in the last 30 seconds or so, you know, now that the cookbook is published and it's available for purchase, what do you hope that folks gain from your cookbook and what comes out of the partnership with the International Institute? Yeah, um, just, you know, to people to, to be uh, willing to try something new, to even if you're not comfortable in the kitchen, uh, you know, we walk you through the whole step. So I think it's just expanding people's culinary horizons because, you know, for us at the end of the day, that's more customers to come in the store who want to try different things. And, you know, we're, we're doing a portion of proceeds to the uh, International Institute of the Sales, but also some of the books themselves. So for, we're donating about 100 books um, just oh. so the Institute can hand it out to, to new families and new arrivals. And it'll be a good kind of introduction to the St. Louis food scene for them. Mm-hmm. Great. Shane Propisal is Chief Operating Officer of Global Foods Group. Shane, thank you so much for joining us today and catching us up on what has happened with this cookbook. Thank you. It was great to be here. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. With audio engineering by Alex Hoyer. Podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.